to Luke chapter 19, please. Gospel of Luke as we continue our journey through the scriptures. Salvation is near. You know, we're one day closer to the end than we were yesterday. And it's ever, our time on this earth is growing near, near every day. As we break into this chapter, for those of you visiting, and a reminder of those who were not here last week, Jesus is now uh, making the home run, if you will, the last turn there at Jericho, which is a city near uh, the Jordan River. Uh, they've come up the King's Highway from the Galilee, and they are now making that hard right to go up to Jerusalem, but they have to pass through Jericho to, to get on the road to Jerusalem. And the last week, we, on the way in, we met Blind Bart, Blind Bartimaeus and one of his friends who were healed of their blindness, not only their physical blindness, but also their spiritual blindness because they begin to follow Jesus with great joy. And now as he's leaving Jericho, there's a short tax collector without salvation, and he is met, and he will meet his Savior before Jesus departs. Now, if you remember, Jericho is a type of the world, and it tells us here that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and that's exactly what he did as a man. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He entered into this world through the womb of his mother Mary. He grew and developed like any other human being. He found favor with God, and he grew in stature and in favor with God just like we are too. And then he began to fulfill his ministry, and he will end up providing salvation not only for this tax collector, but for everyone who would believe in his name and on his name. He's going to make that become a reality as he heads to Jerusalem. Within a week, he will be nailed to the cross, and he will suffer, and he will die, and he will be buried. And he will also rise from the dead, vindicating himself to be who he said he was, the creator, the God-man. But the reason he entered this world and passed through this world is because he was looking for a treasure. And you and I are the treasure that he was looking for. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is not pleased to damn the wicked or to punish the wicked or to allow them to enter into eternity without him. That grieves his soul. That's not why they, we were created. We were created to love God and to be in fellowship with God. But his enemy, the one who rebelled against him, destroyed through the tempting of our first parents into disobedience, he destroyed the paradise that was created for you and I. Now we have to, and we can only enter it by faith after we pass through this time of testing. And so Jesus came as a trailblazer to as he entered this world and passed through this world and gave an example how we were to live and to have our trust and our faith in the Lord. I love these stories of how God draws people unto himself. We're in the last days. We've been in the last days since the church was born back in the first century. In fact, at the end of that first century, the Apostle John, the last of the apostles, said, not only are we in the last days, we're in the last hour. Now, if we were in the last hour in the first century, what does that tell us about our day? We're about this far away from entering into eternity. And you'll realize, and I've said this many times, and you're aware of it, there are only two things on this earth right now that are eternal. The souls of men and the Word of God. And that is what you and I should be spending our energies and spending our time and resources. We want to make sure we lead as many people to Christ, teach them the way of the Lord, and disciple as many as we can, 
and allow the Word of God to have its perfect work in preparing us for heaven, our eternal paradise with Him. Let's read our text here. Just going to cover the first 10 verses here. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to, that, to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and re- received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus, a man of the world, his name actually means righteous one. And it doesn't appear from our text that he was actually uh, living up to his name. Um, But we're going to see from his life at least three things that happened here. Repentance, restitution, and restoration. Now the text tells us that he was the chief tax collector. So you get the idea that he's got other tax collectors working underneath him. So you know what this means. The tax collectors were notorious about taking a little bit above what Rome was actually requiring, and that would be their means by which they would make a living. And so uh, depending on the individual, probably depends on how much they gouged him for. And so if all the other tax collectors are doing that, and you're the chief tax collector, that means you're taking a percentage from those guys. No doubt. That's how he became very rich. And Rome didn't care. As long as they're getting what they think is due, they don't really care what the tax collectors do to their people. I mean, look at our tax system today. I know you don't want to hate to remind you, right? <laughs> you know, they are putting more and more taxes upon us. You know, in some form or another, we're probably close to 80% of what our monies go for some form of tax. It's ridiculous. If you think I'm exaggerating, look at your phone bill. I looked at mine. I've got a federal universal charge, 51 cents. A regulatory charge, 16 cents. An administrative charge, a dollar. A service surcharge for 14 cents. State tax for 911, that's 62 cents. And then dual party relay charge, that's three cents. And then, of course, don't forget the sales tax, 35 cents. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I really don't know what a lot of those charges mean. But I got a feeling that they're somewhat frivolous. Just another way to extrapolate more money from the public. Now, those numbers that I mentioned are not extraordinarily large numbers, are they? But if you're doing that from millions of people, it sort of adds up pretty quick. So what the government has done is they've sort of set the pattern of fleecing the people, bringing the citizenry, as it were, into bondage. And now the corporations have caught on to, hey, let's just do what the government does and continue to fleece the people. But that's just an observation. It's a very sad one, and it's actually very disturbing. But... That's what it's all about in this world in which we live, is it not? And Zacchaeus was really caught up in it. He was a materialist. It's all about what I can get in the here and now. You know, it's all about how many toys I can collect or how many comforts I can gain. And as a result, uh, there was something missing in his life. He had everything that life could offer at that point in time. Probably had a really nice house, probably had really nice clothes, 
had everything that he, whatever he wanted, he was able to obtain. We're not really that far away from that. We're just usually between the lower class and the middle class and the upper class. It's just a matter of, of how much and the quality. But we all live, even in our lower class, we're considered what rich compared to the rest of the world. But regardless of where we're at, materialism doesn't satisfy. And that's what Jesus told us, did he not? A man's life does not consist of the things that he possesses. It is not in materialism. It doesn't take long to figure that out. As you live long enough and you work hard enough, you realize that doesn't really satisfy. And not only uh, was this part of his life, there was also just simply, uh, this beyond this emptiness, was the rejection from the society. He had chosen an occupation that was... Uh, notoriously uh, hated by the people for obvious reasons. I mean, who likes someone sticking their hand in your back pocket taking your hard-earned dollars? You sort of have a resentment that builds up. And even though he'd been raised in a nation that feared God and were taught the ways of God, they had the oracles of God. He knew the truth, and yet he chose to serve the Gentiles. How disgusting. Our enemy, and you're... You, you're being used by them to fleece your own people. And so he is rejected by the people for his occupation. Think about the shame that came upon him and the words that were spoken against him. Just because he chose an occupation uh, and ensued that occupation with vigor. See, all this is creating an inner conflict. This emptiness of the occupation and materialism, this hatred from his nation, really. Neighbors and friends were no friends at all. They weren't neighborly at all. They rejected him. Jealous of his wealth, no doubt. All this is probably going on within this guy's life. And I'm telling you that we've got a country full of people. If there's one like this, there's another million like that suffering from this emptiness of this life. So he, no doubt he'd heard about Jesus. How could, you, how could anybody in this nation, after three and a half years of miracles, preaching, teaching, the feasts, and, and the way we talk as human beings and we socialize, he was well aware of the ministry, the healings, the miracles that Christ worked. And now he sees Jesus coming, caravanning with a number of people up to Jerusalem for the Passover, and here's an opportunity to actually see the guy that everybody's been talking about, the guy that is possibly the Messiah, and it, the guy that has a way of putting the Pharisees in this hypocritical leadership uh, and telling them uh, what's, really, what's really true and really right. He's the first guy that's ever stood up against the establishment like this and never taught things like he taught, and he's got an opportunity to see him. And he doesn't want to miss it. God has put within his heart a desire to seek Christ, to seek Messiah. You see, that's the beginning of repentance. God puts a desire in the human heart to find God, to know God. There is this vacuum within each of our lives that can only be filled by God. And God puts us, his spirit has a way of causing us to begin to seek God. There's got to be something more to life than materialism. There's got to be more to my life than just working for my comforts. Repentance is the idea of a total 180, a total change in direction and course of action. It involves the idea of instead of living a self-centered, autonomous life experience, it is a God-centered lifestyle that is informed and directed by God. I now want to know what God's will is for my life because I've been living for myself and I have no idea where I, who I am or where I'm going because only God can give a person that perspective. So he sought to see Jesus. What are you seeking today? Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for wealth? If I just had enough money... I could fix myself. I could fix my health. 
If I just had enough money and was kind enough to people, then I would be accepted. I wouldn't feel this rejection. No, materialism doesn't satisfy. Positions in our professions don't satisfy. Our occupations can never fill that void. Actually, these things can be obstacles to us coming to Christ and coming to God. Money is probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks ever. All the church wants out of us is our money. Just stick the money, you know, I'll come to this church because they don't even pass the plate. But, you know, all the church really wants, you know, is this money. And that's really sad. I had a conversation with a guy not too long ago. And he he was dropping something off here at the church. And um, he was doing it on a, uh, uh, actually he was going to pick it up on a Sunday morning uh, during church service. And I said, well, hey, you know, and he said he was going to miss his church in doing so. And I said, well, you can just join us. And uh, he said, he kind of blew it off a little bit. But before he left, uh, I mentioned it again. He said, I know you pastors, you know, you don't want to get, you got to get that tithe. Like, whoa, I was, that wasn't in my mind at all. Like, dude, you can join us. It's okay. You don't have to just run off. If you're here and you got to do your job, that's your job that particular day, come join us. But what came to his mind is what, it's the general opinion that people have about churches. All they want is your money. How sad. How very sad. May we never lower ourselves to that kind of attitude or put forth that at all. If you don't want to give, keep your money. Because I can tell you right now, God doesn't need your money. And we don't either. If you can't give it willingly, lovingly, keep it. But if you, can, if you want to be faithful to God, be faithful to God. That's what, how that works. So Zacchaeus had to face these obstacles. He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowds. Are you letting people get in your way of really seeing what Jesus is really like? How many people have such a distorted view of what God is like? Well, you know, that Old Testament God, he killed everybody that got in the way. You know, if you, you crossed him, you're going to get, you know, lightning and thunder and you're toast. Really? Apparently you haven't read the Old Testament, have you? Because the God that I serve is the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same forever. He is the Lord God. He changes not. He is just as gracious and just as compassionate in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. And we can find many examples of that. Don't let people get in your way. Oh, I'm not going to that church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Really? You know, a hypocrite's just an actor, right? Tell me there's people that you work with that are that are not actors. Of course there are. There's everybody jockeying for position. They're acting. They're, play, they're being something that they're really not so, so they can gain a position. That's called a hypocrite. They're everywhere. In fact, there's hypocrisy in our own lives. If we're not honest with, we need to be honest with ourselves so that we can deal with it. Just be who you are. If you're not feeling happy, well, don't put on a fake smiley face. But if you're really happy, smile. Be who you are. You know who gives you the ability to be transparent like that? It's your security in God. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be real and authentic in who you are because you now have learned who you are and who you're not in your relationship with God. You don't have to worry about being a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite if you sin, if you fail, you make mistakes. God's very much aware of the fact that we are going to sin in thought, word, or deed, and we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We may not want to, but we're going to. God has made provisions for that. Well, where's the problem lie? The problem lies is when we try to cover it up. It's always the cover-up, you know, that gets you in trouble. You know, you just confess and forsake. If you offend a brother, ask for forgiveness. If you offend the Lord, ask for forgiveness. It's just that simple. Don't let people get in the way of you seeing Jesus. You know, you might be looking at yourself. You, you might be your own worst obstacle. You might be looking at your shortcomings. You know, I just don't measure up. I'm not as smart as the next guy. I'm not as talented as that guy. I'm not good enough. All, of, all these things that we think about ourselves can be obstacles in us seeing Jesus. You know, 
You always seem to come up short, right? Nobody really cares about you. Like, nobody really cares about Zacchaeus. He's a traitor. You come up short. You did see what I went, what I did there, right? Short stature. Okay, just seems if you're paying attention. He's actually the worst kind of sinner. He collects taxes for the Gentiles. I mean, you can't get any lower than that. Well, maybe if you were a harlot or a thief. I want you to want to remind us all. You can find all kinds of sinners within the Bible. Adulterers, murderers, thieves, harlots. Take your pick and they can be saved. And many of them were. So you don't have anything on anyone else. We're all sinners. We all need forgiveness. We all need to be washed in the blood. We all need the sacrifice of Christ. You got to do what Zacchaeus did. He overcame. He overcame his obstacles. Those who love the Lord and are walking with the Lord are those who have overcome these obstacles of people and their own shortcomings. He was proactive in his search. He was not passive. Well, I'm short. There's too many people. God doesn't really care about me. I don't care. Forget it. I'll just let this opportunity pass by and it'll, you know, it's just the way it is. No. He wasn't about to miss the opportunity. He'd heard a lot and he wanted to check it out for himself. That's what seeking God is all about. Find out for yourself. How many people are paying attention to what they think the Bible says because they've heard it from somebody else and they've never taken the time, their own time, with their own eyes and sat down with their own mind and thought through what is written in the Bible. They're just simply taking somebody else's opinion or what that person may have heard. Sometimes you just need a better perspective, and God wants to give you a better perspective of Jesus. It's the one, God is the one who changes our perspective on life. Yeah, you might have to be involved and pursue and proactive in all this. You might have to run ahead of the crowd. You might have to find a tree. You might have to get up a little from a different position to get a a better perspective of Jesus. But God wants to give you the best perspective that you can have so you can make a good choice. And believe me, Jesus is the right choice. He wants to give us the best possible perspective on the truth because that's really what we need. It's only the truth that sets you and me free from ourselves and from this world. So I believe that this is what was going on in his inner man There was a war going on. He's rejected by the society. He's rich. He's empty. And he sees and knows of these testimonies of of the thieves, of the harlots, of the other tax collectors. Probably taking a hit economically because some of these tax collectors have already come to Christ. You see, he's coming to the light. And all things are open and naked to the Lord. And he knows that. But there is this war that goes on within, and he's overcoming that obstacle. The obstacle is our works. And as Jesus said in John three nineteen and 21, you can pull that up, John three nineteen and 21, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deed should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen. They have been done in God. One of the things about being 
a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner, and everybody else knows us, that you'd have nothing to hide. <laughs> and such was my case as a young teenager in a couple years of hellion, hellionism. You didn't have to worry about people confessing your sins. They were in public view, you know. And I think that's where he was at. He came to the... And what's really fascinating about this is verse 5. Jesus came to his place. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus comes to wherever you're at. He, you might be thinking you're seeking after God, but in reality, you know what it is? He is seeking after you. God seeks, he searches, he's watching, he's looking, he's drawing people unto himself. Jesus looks up into that tree and he sees not a short tax collector, but a hurting soul that needs love and acceptance and forgiveness. And he says to him, come down. He saw him for who he was as a person. He saw and knew the situation that this man was in, self-inflicted, brought upon himself by his own selfish choices. He knew all that. Jesus came to that moment for him. He was seeking him out. He called him, come down from that tree. Now that you've got a proper perspective on who I really am, I am the son of God, I am the God man, I am the incarnate God. Now that you see who I really am, come down from your elevated self-righteousness. Come down off your self-sufficiency. And come to me. Not tomorrow. Now, after you've lived a while and sowed your wild oats, so to speak. But today. Today is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. Some of you who sitting in here are not really assured of your salvation. This is for you. It isn't for you to... Wait till tomorrow or the next day. It's for you to hear now and make sure you're sure that your name is written in the book of life. Jesus has sought you and is looking for you and those that are listening by way of the internet. God is seeking you. God wants you. Not tomorrow, but today. I don't think Zacchaeus... Zacchaeus was uh, really, as it were, fully aware of what was going on. Maybe he started out by just thinking, oh, wow, Jesus is coming by. And he might have just got all, all excited. But as soon as that thought came into his mind, I'm sure these other things followed. Jesus is God, the holy man. <gasps> I'm not holy. And then that internal war began. And then the seeking process. Well, I'll just, I think, I think he may have just thought, well, you know, if I could just see Jesus, I want to see what this mysterious man really looks like. Maybe that's all he cared about was just the casual encounter. But as Jesus came to his place, and as the Spirit of God was no doubt convicting him and dealing with him, he received a call from Jesus and he responded. And that's what's happening in your heart right now. God is calling you. God is speaking to you. And he wants you to listen. He wants you to know how much he cares, how much he loves you. God loves man. He loves to save people. The question is, do you want to be saved? Do you want to be delivered from emptiness, from the feelings of rejection? Do you want to be part of God's eternal family? Do you want to be delivered from the bondage of your sin? You've, you've opened some doors and you wish to God you never would have opened those doors and the pain and the sorrow that it's brought into your life. And you wonder if God can actually heal you from all that. Yes, he can, and we will, if you'll turn to him with all your heart. And the day that you seek the Lord with all your heart and sincerity, you'll find him.
And he, you will pray and you'll come to know him. That's how it works. How many in this room can bear witness that that's how it happened? When you got real with God and you got, like, it doesn't matter anymore. I just want to know God. I want to be forgiven. And you could care less what other people think. Notice here that Jesus took the lower position. He, he always has. He's the one who died in our place. He's the one that was humiliated, beat beyond recognition. He's the one that took the nails. He took the lower position and became our sacrifice so we could be forgiven of our rebellion and our sins. And God sees us. He sees you. He wants you. We just have to come down off that tree. Do you understand that God's intentions from the very beginning was that he would fellowship with mankind? It wasn't because God was lonely. God doesn't have any need. He wanted to share because that's his nature. He's a God of love, a God who deeply cares. And what does the Bible tell us? Revelation 3, 20 and 21, the very heart of God. This is the Lord Jesus himself. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You understand we must overcome those obstacles that get us in the way of seeing Jesus. Don't let people and don't let your occupation stand in your way. Oh, I have to work. I've got bills to pay. Well, join the crowd. Who doesn't? Don't let that be a stupid, foolish excuse why you can't come to church and be faithful to God and serving your brothers and sisters. That's the biggest lie from the enemy I've, I hear. I've got to work. I've got to work. Well, we all do. God's intentions is that you have fellowship with him, that you're drawn into this intimate, deep, personal relationship with Christ. He wanted to dine with Zacchaeus. Come on, man. Get down here. I'm going to your house tonight. I just find that's wonderful. What does it say? He obeyed, right? He come down off that tree. Wow. Jesus wants to come to my house? He wants to eat with me? Are you kidding? Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. He does. We're, not, we're the Zacchaeus of the day. We're all a Zacchaeus to him. We're a dirty, filthy sinner. Anybody want to deny that? (laughs) No. But notice Jesus' reaction to this. He received him with joy. You want to make Jesus happy? Come to him. Come to him with your failures. Come to him with all your issues, all your shortcomings, whatever it is. Go ahead and make your list. Bring your list to Jesus. And he'll receive you with joy because he loves you. You see, it was the love of God that was drawing Zacchaeus to himself. That's what it was about. I don't know about you, but I've never experienced love like the love of God. First 18 years of my life, had no clue. Couldn't comprehend at all. I love this verse in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope within purifies himself just as he is pure. You and I are going to see Jesus. It's just a matter of time. Some of us sooner than others probably. But who knows? The rapture's, we're in the last hour, are we not? I love this ver- these verses because of what it means. The word bestowed, it's not something we use. It's kind of an archaic word in our present culture, time. But it's a rich word. It means to confer 
and honor. Uh, to grant is a gift to be received by God. Jesus received him with joy. That's the greatest honor that any human being can, can, have, can ever receive. The love of God. It's a gift. It's conferred. It cannot be earned. Think about the word conferred. It's a powerful word. It's what bestowed means. Con, together, furred in the Latin, to bring. God is bringing us to himself. Brings him great joy to know that his children are reconciled. Those that he created individually, he's bringing them to himself and it brings him great joy. There's joy in heaven beyond words over one sinner who repents. This love is incomprehensible. But it can only be revealed to us through the forgiveness of sin. You cannot know the love of God apart from the forgiveness of sin. There's, this love has no origin on earth. You can't find it from any other source except God himself. It is heavenly and it is eternal. The terms of engagement to experience this love by fallen creatures is, number one, repentance. It is the turning away from sin and a turning to God. Just understand that you and I are all being drawn to God because of his great love. He wants to make himself known to us. He wants us to experience the love of God more and more. Our bodies right now, our spirits, the way we are at this point in, of, because of the curse and the fallenness of who we are, we can't really grasp the fullness of this love. What manner of love that was bestowed, that was conferred upon us. It, it's, it's indescribable. It will take us a new glorified body to really experience the fullness of God's love. And you know what? It will take all of eternity. And then that's not long enough to capture and to fully appreciate the love of God. It's the greatest thing ever. You may repent and you may turn to God with all your heart. This is what was going on in Zacchaeus' life. There was a complete turnabout. And your reputation may have preceded you and you may have a reputation as a real hellion, a, a bad person. But this crowd witnessed something that people need to witness by those who repent and turn to God. They witness grace. They witness the mercy. There's no condemnation to those who come to Jesus. He took it all. They were blown away. How could Jesus, this holy rabbi, take this filthy, rotten, chief tax collector and go to his house? Are you kidding me? What kind of a Messiah does that? Our Messiah. That's the nature of God. He loves people. He forgives people. And they resented this man. He's a sinner. Wow. I don't know about Jesus, man. I know about this guy. Yeah. You see, one thing I like about this is that Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. That's what it says right here. Verse 8, and then Zacchaeus stood yeah, that's what I am. That's what I did. I, I'm, not, I'm not happy about that. But he's, he's not backing down. He's facing the Lord. And that's what we have to do. We have to come to, to grips with who we are. And you know what? It's okay. It's, but what's not okay is if you don't admit it. This is where Jacob began to make progress in his relationship with Yahweh in the Old Testament. Chapter 32. He's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And they're going back and forth. And Jesus pins him. 
This is theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Jesus pins him. Takes his leg out. You know, I'm not letting go. Yeah, you pinned me. And what does Jesus say? What's your name? What? What's my name? Yeah. What's your name? What's your character? What's your nature? Oh, I'm Jacob. You know what that means, right? Schemer. Dirty, sneaky thief. No. You're Israel. Once you confess and admit who you are, you're free. You get a new name, you get a new nature, you're transformed. But you got what keeps us from that? What keeps us from really being transparent with God? He sees it all anyway, right? It's pride. We have to admit who we are. Drop our pride. Look, Lord. Whew. That's full-on changed heart. That's something magnificent has taken place in this greedy, selfish chief tax collector. Look, Lord. Yeah, they're right. That's my reputation. But look, Lord, I'm going to make restitution. Half of what I have, just, just, I can't spend it all anyway. Just give it to the poor. Let me help. Let me begin to help people. Isn't it wonderful when people get saved? And you know they're saved. Why? Because there's fruit. There's good works. They're not saved by those good works. I'm just so happy that God forgave me and I'm part of his family and I get to serve him. And I just take my stuff and I help other people. I take my time and I help other people. Whatever gifting you may have, you begin to use and serve other people. You become, instead of self-centered, you begin to take on the mind of Christ. Jesus was the most other-centered and God is the most other-centered being in existence. He cares about humanity and all of his creation. He gives half to the poor. And you know the law only required uh, 20% when you took something you shouldn't have taken. One-fifth, 20%. He's going to go fourfold. He's doubling it. Fourfold. He ripped you off a dollar, I'm going to give you four back. That is absolutely a change of heart. That's what repentance looks like. There's a change in behavior. If there's no change in behavior, there's no turning away from the lifestyle that I was living away from God, if there's no change, there's no repentance, there's no fruit, then we can question Someone may have done. I think the church is full of false converts. Well, I asked Jesus into my heart. Really? Just a, a little bit because I still want to live the way I want to live. That's not full surrender. That's not really true repentance. And people are allowed to escape. They don't want to hear this because it, the light exposes that dark attitude that needs to be repented of. There should be fruit. Oh, it might be 30, 60, and some people are 100, right? There might be more fruit in other people's lives. They may have more talents and more abilities. That's great. But there ought to be at least a little bit of fruit. There ought to be some kind of change of lifestyle if you're truly a Christian. Most of the church acts just like the world. Lots of activity that the world does that we consider, the scripture would consider unacceptable to God or being conducted by Christians. Yes, we all have to battle with idolatry. Putting things in our lives before God. And may God help us. And again, as I've said before, God is not looking for a perfectly lived life. He's not measuring you on your performance to accept you. But it is your faith in him that will cause your behavior to change. So what's the real issue? The real issue is trust. 
well, somehow I, I don't know if I can trust God because I want to do this, and if I do this, then he may not want me to do that, but it feels so good if I do this. I don't want to do this. Even though it's something I don't think God would want me to do. That means i got to change my attitude and change my heart. And God, I'm going to give you this. And this is how you work through the issues. This is, this is what it means to walk with God. You bring your issues. You share those th- dark thoughts. You're transparent with God. That's how you repent. By seeking Christ. By see- receiving the forgiveness. There's repentance, turning to God. There's restitution, making things right with the people that I may have harmed because this is, we, in repentance, we have godliness restored. In restitution, we have righteousness restored. I begin to treat my brothers and sisters, my neighbors, like I should. I love them by not stealing from them, by not gossiping about them, by doing bad things against them, by whatever. That's what restitution is all about. I remember this very vividly in my own life since I did some things that I ought not to have done as a kid. And I remember shortly after my conversion, whether it was known to the pastor or not, I don't know. I'm sure he knew about me. He'd been to my house and talked to me a few times. And one Sunday, not too long after I had been saved and converted and made a public confession, he taught on restitution. And I was immediately convicted because there were people in that town that I lived that I had taken things from. And I had to make it right. And I remember this young, not young, this elderly lady who I went uh, to and uh, I probably didn't give her enough money, but I gave her money to um, replace what I'd taken from her. And she could care less about the money. She just kind of looked at me like she got, he leaned forward and stuck her face right in mine and said, you really have changed. You see, there's nothing that proves salvation and repentance like restitution. Some of you, by listening on the internet or here, you might need to do that. Now, I thought as I was coming to this conversion experience, there's no way I'm going to be able to confess every sin. And I don't think you can remember every sin you commit. I couldn't. I don't think that's what it's about. I don't think it's a memory test. It's a heart change. You just know that you have blown it enough times you need forgiveness. Repentance. Restitution results in reconciliation. You're made right with God and you bring joy to the heart of God by making your life right with God. And Jesus will announce this through your behavior. This is what he says. Today, salvation has come to this house. See, those works demonstrate the heart change and the faith. And that's what God is after Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without works, you can't demonstrate your faith. It doesn't save you. It's an evidence of your faith. Giving to the poor and assisting the poor, making things right with other people. Today is the day of salvation. Will salvation come to your house? Has salvation come to your house? Are you sure? You might be sitting there, hurry up, get over with this. I need to go. I can't handle this. Yeah, you're under conviction. You need to hear. You need to repent. You think you can get away with hearing the truth and it not affecting your life? When you hear the truth and you, re- you reject it, something happens. Your heart becomes harder. The next time you hear the gospel... It's going to be that much easier to blow it off. This morning, you have this opportunity right now. If you have any doubts about your eternal destiny, 
where you're going to be for the last time, you need to make it assured right now. You know where you're going. You might need to pray with someone. We've got, we have elders here. You can come up. You can go back in the prayer room, the room to your left, back in the corner there. We have elders that will be in there to pray with you. If you want to come forward as we're closing here, fellas, if you want to come on up, we're going to close here. I'm not going to assume everyone in this room is saved, nor do I assume everybody listening by way of the internet is, is really in a right relationship with God. If you have any doubt whatsoever, the Lord is saying to you, come, just like he called Zacchaeus, come. I love you. I care about you more than you can ever imagine. I've been seeking after you a lot longer than you can ever imagine, and I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on you. God is not going to give up on you. You might give up on yourself, but he's not going to give up on you until you take your last breath. Don't wait until your last breath to call upon the name of the Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now is your opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word and this strong exhortation to receive your grace and your mercy and your love and the forgiveness of our sin, Lord. Thank you for what you've provided. Thank you for taking the nails, Lord. Thank you for taking the straps, the cat of nine tails across your back and the stripes, Lord. When we think and we consider what you endured to make atonement for our sins, to provide forgiveness, we scarcely can take it in, Lord. May you just continue to remind us of just how much you love us. Bless your people, I pray. In Jesus' name.